This is episode number 122 with the MMA fighter and humanitarian Justin Wren, who's fighting for the forgotten, the forgotten pygmy people of Congo. The story is incredible, so hold on tight. Let's dive into this 122nd episode of Creating Space. Welcome back, guys. What's happening? 122 episodes in, and if you'd have told me nine months ago that we'd have a guy like Justin Wren coming onto the show, I would have told you, I don't believe you, no chance. I can remember back in the day on Spike TV when um, The Ultimate Fighter was a television show in its early inception, and Justin Wren was a competitor on it, Um, and he fought through multiple rounds in The Ultimate Finale. Um, He actually got to uh, a fight in the Ultimate Fighter 10 with John Madsen, who he lost via split decision. And I can remember um, in that entire episode thinking that Justin was really going to go the distance, really kind of enjoyed his character, who he's about. He's a big teddy bear, you think, but obviously he steps into that octagon and it's another story. However, to get back to that teddy bear aspect, Justin's got a humanitarian spirit and he's changing lives, not just here in the United States, but actually over in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And what he's doing, his his inspiring story is incredible. But before we get there, we got a brand new webinar that we're running for you guys. You guys have spoken, all right? We threw out a poll on Instagram and on Facebook to see what you guys were interested in learning. Most recently, you guys said that a small business webinar was what you really desire to learn about. So we've created a seven-step webinar, a seven-step process to help you take a concept to conversion. So if you're interested for that, if you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, you're looking to break through some blocks, or you're a small business owner, or you've got an entrepreneurial spirit and you're working on a side hustle that you want to learn how to convert on your product or service, creatingspacemovement.com slash webinar. Go ahead and sign up for that webinar, a seven-step process that Low Myrick will handle a lot of the strategy behind what it takes to build a successful business. I'll be hitting on some of the marketing and advertisement stuff, whether that be Facebook ads and some of the uh, Google ad type campaigns to help inbound marketing, to help drive attention to your product or service. We're going to double team that webinar. So creatingspacemovement.com slash webinar. Go ahead and sign up there if you're ready to take a concept to conversion and start making money as an entrepreneur or small business owner. Anyways, let's jump back over to this story with Justin Wren, uh, the big pygmy Justin Wren. Great story, something that if you have a heart for humanitarian work, which I'm sure you do, or else you wouldn't be tuned in creating space, this episode is really going to tug on your heartstrings. And Justin is someone that I'm extremely proud to know, and I really want to support. So let's dig our heels in. Let's get locked and loaded from this incredible story with Justin, the big pygmy Wren, here on Creating Space. Justin, big pygmy Wren, my man, one of the uh, most legendary MMA fighters, a guy that stepped away from the, the the professional sport to get down to Congo, to get outside of himself and do something for others, man. I'm so excited to invite you on a Creating Space. Man, thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. It's uh, it's exciting, man. First of all, what you know, I, I, it's the first question on every show, man. What What are you grateful for today? What are you juiced about? Oh, man. Well, you said, what am I juiced about? I guess uh, I'm a guy, you know, I've started to learn uh, how valuable clean water is, bro. And so I'm, I'm thankful for today that, that, you know, not everyone that went to sleep last night uh, woke up today, you know, and is breathing this, this air and seeing this beautiful day and having clean water like I have. You know, there's one billion people on planet Earth that don't have access to clean water. So there's a lot to be grateful for, my friend, uh, from from everything. Just opening our eyes, being able to see, hear, breathe, and even have clean water like we all have here in the states. It's so um, it's such a, a a scarcity where you have gone, right, and the things you have seen. But yet, it's so 
um, saturated here, right? We forget about that perspective, man. But, you know, obviously there's a wealth of knowledge and experience you've got. Um, but where, Justin, where did this all begin, man? Where are you from? Ben, I am from uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. So uh, just, I grew up, up up outside the city, a little country town called Crowley, Texas. A lot of people have never heard of it. Right. <laughs> but that's where I grew up. Went to high school in downtown uh, Dallas, though. And wrestled under the legendary guys, Kenny Monday and Kendall Cross, both Olympic gold medalists in the wrestling world. And so that's kind of my background. My roots is, is Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. I love that. I played uh, one season in, in San Antonio for the San Antonio Scorpions, man. And so I got my I got a little bit of time in Texas, but it was coming straight from living in Vancouver for four years, which the sun <laughs> never comes out. But for two months, then when I got to Texas in uh, San Antonio and it's 115 degrees of dry heat. Oh, it was melting, man. I had to get out of there quickly. So I only spent one year. But I do like Dallas, man. I, I Especially Austin. Um, I, oh, yeah. I, yeah, those two cities, man, I, I got lots of love for. Yeah, Dallas is growing like crazy. I think they have, like, uh, the suburbs outside of there. I think three or four, maybe even five of them are on the top ten uh, fastest growing cities in the country right now. So Dallas is exploding. Wow. That's awesome. But now currently you're in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Moved up to Oklahoma city or I guess moved down to Oklahoma city from Colorado. Uh, I was just, uh, in Colorado Springs. I had a relationship with the Olympic training center there. I was going up to Denver training there, but yeah, it got brought out here by water Four. it's, uh, the nonprofit that fight for the forgotten is now an initiative underneath we were our own 501c3, uh, but now we're a nonprofit underneath Water 4. Um, and my wife and I moved out here. And in the training world, the fight world too, I, I have the best training that I've personally ever had. I've been at a lot of great camps, gone to most of the top gyms in the world uh, and trained with all those teams. But for me and my style, um, here in Oklahoma City, I'm getting great wrestling. And then uh, the world champion in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is here, uh, and I'm getting to train with him each and every day. So it's, it's pretty so great. So who's that? Who's the world champion in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? His name is Rafael Lovato Jr., and he is uh, the most accomplished American ever in the sport of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And so he's won, I think, something like eight or nine or ten world medals. Uh, I think multiple of them are, are world championships, like the, the gold um, and he's just a beast. He's uh, come over and he's joined Bellator. Him and I fought back to back on our last uh, fight, March 3rd. Um, and he knocked his dude out, which he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. So everyone's like, don't go to the ground with him because he's undefeated. Every guy he's touched the ground with, he has submitted. Um, so he's like four or five and oh going into this fight. And then he just kicked the dude upside the head <laughs> about 13 times and knocked the dude out. How'd you do it? How'd you do in your match? Yeah, I, I choked my guy out in about two and a half minutes. So uh, <laughs> got a big throw, took him down, hit him with the arm triangle. And so, uh, yeah, he tapped. Have you always been a fighter, though, Justin? Has that always kind of been in your system, even when you were younger? Uh, I would say it wasn't always in my system, but it developed. Um, I, I, I think I always had it in me. Um, but I was very timid, bro, growing up. Uh, I had a speech uh, therapist until sixth grade. Um, I read so much slower than everybody else. I had ADD. Um, and so reading, whenever it was popcorn reading, I was so terrified. And the teachers would always pick me and I would stand up. And, uh, and, and I was just slower than everybody else. And, and, and um, so it uh, slower reader. And uh, because of that, I was picked on and I got really heavily bullied, um, from third grade until eighth grade, uh, so much. So my parents moved me out of two different schools. Um, and one was just, uh, brutal. If I, I, mean, I don't know if we'll get any of those stories, but, uh, it was, it was some tough stuff where the whole school was in on it together. Um, and from there, when I was transferred out, I found the sport of wrestling and that is the thing that gave me actually hope and an outlet, a passion, kind of a purpose, something to focus on. And from that, I was able to work my way out of kind of, uh, I don't know, just timid, bullied, sat on the lunch table by myself, pelted in the back of the head with chocolate milk spit wads, um, and just a loner. No way. Yeah, bro. And so then after that, finding wrestling, it really helped me start to stand up for myself. Um, but then uh, eventually down the line, um, maybe 10 years later, to start being able to stand up for others too. 
so there's so much uh, value inside of that, man. Let's let's start a little bit in with that discovery of wrestling. What was it about uh, the art of wrestling or was it the success that you were having inside of it? Was it the coaching and the influence you had? Talk us through kind of that moment because for me, I had braces. I also too believe I'm dyslexic. I struggled in a classroom setting. For me, it was it was soccer, man, and, and it saved me from being the the acne ridden brace face guy that was in the friend zone of all the chicks that he thought were the most yeah. gorgeous. Um, but I never had a school that was actually in on a a, a bullying plot against me, yeah. man. What what was that like? And tell me more specifically what it was about wrestling for you that kind of put you in a new direction. Yeah, so, I mean, so. Just in on the a little insight in on the bullying, like I I uh, so I was in the friend zone as well. If I, well, if I wasn't a friend zone, or if I was going to be anywhere, it was outcast. <laughs> yep. If I was lucky, it was zone. So I would have I would have been extremely happy to be in the friend zone, <laughs> and uh, and so I thought I had been invited into the friend zone uh, a couple of occasions. And for instance, the first one was. Uh, with this girl named Jessica and in Texas, we have this ridiculous, um, tradition. I don't know if you saw it while you're there in San Antonio, but, uh, around homecoming time, uh, in, in high schools, the grocery stores will just be filled of these things called mums or chrysanthemums, but they're these big fake flowers, uh, that the girls wear, uh, guys wear these garters, they have streamers and all this. It's, it's crazy. I think only Texas does it. Um, but I uh, asked her to homecoming. She said yes. I saved up my allowance to buy her this mum. Uh, and I mean, now kids are buying them and it's stupid expensive. I mean, they have Bluetooth speakers in them and lights and bells and whistles. Uh, mine had bells and whistles. I had my name on it, Justin, her name, Jessica. Um, and basically uh, took her to the game. And she came with me. And then at halftime, all of a sudden, another guy started walking up. And the whole school watched him. He was one of the popular kids. Um, and he walked up to the back. And he put out his arm. And she put her arm around his. And all of a sudden, he grabbed the mom and had a streamer on it that said Justin and Jessica. Well, his name was Justin also. And so he said, hey, thanks for buying this for her. And I was like, what? And he goes, you didn't think she would really come here with you, did you? Um, and so he starts walking away. The whole school had turned and watched, and as you know, she starts to walk away. Whole school starts to laugh. I ran kind of down the bleachers and just, um, anyways, to sum that up. The next year, uh, I went to another birthday party, thinking it was a costume contest. I won't get into the whole story, but uh, a costume party. And anyways, I went to it, and uh, I was the only one that dressed up. All the kids that got there thirty minutes early. Um, they had passed out invitations and even on the invitations, it said costume, uh, on it. And so it was all premeditated pictures were taken of me passed around school. Um, and so, but what happened at that party was, uh, that guy, Justin, the notorious middle school bully, he said, um, well, Jeff or Jennifer said, this is a different girl in Jennifer. And she said, I can't believe you thought you were good enough to come to my party. And the guy next to her said, you're worthless. And then Justin said, you should just kill yourself. Um, and so at 13 years old, that was the biggest battle of my life. Um, wasn't just being picked on, but like, dude, depression set in. Like it, wow. it set it, sunk in, it took deep roots, like it, it gripped me. Um, and when he said, you should just kill yourself, I walked home thinking I should just kill myself. You know, thinking of the different ways that I could do it. Um, and, and I wanted to tap out or give up and say like, I've tried this since third grade. This is the end of eighth grade. Like it's been five long years and like, it's just been relentless bullying of people not thinking I'm good enough. I, and I've already felt like it wasn't good enough. Now I just told it, you're not good enough to come to my party. You're worthless. You should just kill yourself. So man, that became my struggle. And it's been the biggest battle of my life is, depression and suicidal thoughts. Uh, I broke that about uh, seven years ago, luckily. And, um, but man, it's just, uh, it, it was wrestling that when I found that, well, actually I found the sport of MMA first. And so I found the UFC 
um, right about that time, it was about a month or two after that costume party. And uh, I, I used all of my allowance that I had at that time. I was going to buy a BB gun. I don't know why I remember that, but I was going <laughs> to buy it. Instead, I bought uh, the UFC. Um, and I bought like UFC 2 through 9 or 2 through 10. And I went home with all those. And I started watching it. And I think what drew me to it was when I looked at the, the VHS cover, um, those guys didn't get bullied. You know, seeing it. These guys probably don't get bullied. These guys are the exact opposite of who I am. Right. Um, and and I, looking further into it, I, I mean, it was so cool. You know, all the different styles. Here's sumo. Here's boxing. Here's karate and taekwondo and jiu-jitsu and wrestling. And we're putting them all against each other. Um, and as I started to watch it, it seemed like it was a human chess match. So kind of like you saying, you know, it's tough in school. It's tough in school for me, too. But I was just drawn to the sport. Like uh, I could learn things with my hands, you know, I could learn activities. If I got my hands on it, I could probably do it pretty well. Um, and so I thought maybe I could be good at that. And if I could, then I'd be the opposite of who I am now. And maybe I'd have some purpose. Some, and I, I studied those and the guys who were winning were, were mostly wrestlers. Um, and so then I got into wrestling and from there I didn't get good quick. Um, I lost, Every match except one in the first year, um, I won one match by one point, and so wow. it wasn't a it wasn't it wasn't a quick start. You know, I was a 15 year old going against everybody that's been wrestling for a while, uh, and most of the heavyweights were seniors, um, and uh, I was the younger guy and the brand new at it, and so they were kicking my butt, and uh, that was tough. But I just stuck with it, man, and it and I found like a team, a family. The coaches were great. You know, they told me to write down my goals um, and, you know, put them somewhere you could see them. And if you do that, we'll make you a state champion by your senior year. Well, uh, they made me a state champion the very next year. You know, I, I went from losing or losing every match but one to winning every match but one. Um, and in the state. So then at Nationals, I got my butt kicked again and only won one match and lost the rest. Um, but then the year after that, uh, I was seventh in the country, then fifth and third. Then I was the national champion. Um, and my coaches just, man, honestly, if it wasn't for them, I don't know if I would have uh, survived kind of that depression and those suicidal thoughts. But they mentored me and, uh, and I listened. I think uh, they just told me, be coachable and we'll make you a champ. And so, uh, uh, you know, they had been champions. And so I just wanted to be like they were. And they're like, you listen, you'll get there. Well, listen, Justin, I, I honor you, first of all, for that vulnerability, especially straight away from the at the top of the podcast. But I will tell you this. We have we have a lot. Yeah, listen, man, we have a lot more in common than you may think. Um, this podcast is birthed off of my own depression, my own suicidal thoughts as um, a pro athlete, actually, uh, when I was going through a, a really dark time in Vancouver, hit with a massive injury um, and then mental illness. Um, and anxiety, depression took me to a spot where then I was at the, the, the bottom of the ocean, so I call it, and suicidal thoughts really started to t overwhelm me until I actually began to, to climb the, the Lionsgate Bridge one day, had already made a decision that I wasn't going to do this thing anymore. I was going to turn the lights out or tap out, as you said. So I, too, understand that battle. I, too, know what it's like to um, battle that, to have the darkness feel like it's always kind of just over your shoulder and almost as if you're grasping and clinging if it's not there to try to figure out where it is right um i too i understand that man and so i honor you for that and the uh, mission of creating spaces to help people kind of go on that soulful journey of falling in love with themselves and creating that avenue and that space to then go at life when once they find something that they love and chase it with all their heart right so i honor that man that that, that you're in there and that wrestling kind of gave you that uh push here's the next question i want to ask you though and i'm sure you get this follow-up all the time that that guy justin back in high school once he knew you were the national champ once he started to see you come into your own talk to me about how that relationship might have changed yeah well it 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 was non-existent because I transitioned out of the school. Uh, but it. then years later, years later, um, you know, I got a message saying, you know, hey, if I would have known, you know, you would have been 
uh, you could have kicked my butt the whole time. I never would have, <laughs> you know, I never would have messed with you. I never would have done this or that. Um, but no, looking at it, man, like I wish them the best and all that. And there's been, so the people that, uh, had, had really, I don't know, um, joined in on it. Um, they've reached out and there's some guys that, man, it's been cool to be able to say like, Hey, wish you the best in life. It's awesome. Uh, but for the, the main guy, I, I feel bad. I feel sorry for him because, uh, he's kind of led a life that has, um, just gone downhill and, and, and it's kind of been a ripple effect, uh, in, in a negative direction. And so, uh, you know, I wish him the best. I wish he could turn it around. Um, but, uh, no, man, I think we all get to choose, you know, if we're going to put positivity out there or negativity and, and it's going to come back. So, uh, you know, put put out the positive vibes. That's for sure. Absolutely, man. Good vibes only. And you're right. You know, we are the, the engineers of our reality, right? And the more we focus on whatever good, bad or indifferent, the more that's going to grow. What aspects right. of yourself started to become pronounced when you put that energy towards wrestling? Obviously, you, you got... Uh, you got into a, a strict routine, you became extremely yeah. disciplined and all of those things. But what parts of yourself did you start to fall in love with that wrestling brought out of you? Hmm. I think that uh, I think that it showed me, um, I don't know why, but from the very first match, the guys would they'd crush me. You know, <laughs> they, would, they would just dominate, but I wouldn't quit. Um, they could just rack up the points and there's something called a, a, a tech fall, which basically means, um, it's basically in little league baseball, there's the 10 run rule. Yeah. Maybe they have something like that in, in soccer. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was basically the 10 run rule. Whenever you get 10 points ahead or 15 points ahead on a guy and, and he hasn't scored one point, the ref just calls it and says, all right, let's, right. let's not uh, embarrass this kid too much. <laughs> um, and, but I, you know, I still wanted to go. Uh, and so, um, on the wrestling mats always, you know, and then from that, it started showing me, you know, my coaches told me there's this real shift whenever, and I've never really talked about this with anyone. You're reminding me of it now, but, uh, I would hesitate and I'd be timid. Now, I wouldn't just be, I would t be timid. And then when I would go to hit a move, I would hesitate. And so basically I was telegraphing it. And so whenever you telegraph it, the guy knows exactly what you're going to do. And then he can defend appropriately. Right. Uh, and put right. you on your back or, or score, rack up the points on you. Um, and then my coaches had this talk with me, Justin, we're going to go back to the drawing board. We're going to work a couple of moves and we're going to try to master those. Um, you don't have need to know all the moves. You need to know a couple of moves really, really well um, that you make yours. And then you'll have confidence in that. And then you'll go out there and don't just hesitate. Don't, don't be timid. Just go out there and try, just try, just swing the bat, just hit the throw. Um, and so I went out there one time, uh, and still at this time I hadn't won, uh, but one match by one point. And I went out there and it was a regional tournament in the nation. And so there's guys from Oklahoma and Missouri and Ohio and Iowa, and I'm the Texas guy. That's not a known wrestling state much, um, or very much. And so I go out there and against guys I should get crushed by. And, uh, my coaches told me, go out there, try, just hit it. Don't hesitate. Be confident just hit the move. You know it. And I went out there and just, uh, just tried and just actually hit it right off the bat. And I just strung, uh, victories back to back to back to back until I was the champ of that tournament because I went out there and just tried, right. and just hit the move. Um, and once I did it once, I mean, I, 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 I think I was like shocked that I got it right. <laughs> like just, just absolutely shocked. And I looked at them, I came off. I remember hugging them. You know, I was so, uh, so excited. I hugged my coach. They're like, that's it. That's how you do it. Now you do it the next one. Just build that momentum. Um, and so I think from not quitting uh, to just going out there and trying, giving my full effort. Um, and then when you do that, it, not quit and just try and just uh, go after it. Um, good things happen. So I love the relentless aspect. We share that same mentality, man. My dad used to bark that into my brain if you get knocked down seven times son you stand up eight god i can it's almost it's creepy how much i can hear him in my voice or in my head saying that in his voice the that relentless aspect that discipline that you have and then that commitment to purpose those things that you learned at a young age 
are those the pillars that you lead your life now by? Um, and, and what kind of is the, the genetic makeup that makes you uh, Justin Wren? Hmm. Well, man, I, that's a question I've never been asked. A great, great question. But, man, I think, uh, I think now, um, man, I would say that, that a lot of people in my darkness, you know, at the bottom of the ocean, like you said, um, you know, I had some guys rally around me. And I would say that, that because of it, they, they love the hell out of me. And, um, and so from that, it made me want to love people too. And so I know I'm a fighter and I took five years off and I'm back to fighting now. Um, but, but I'm fighting so that I can fight for people and I'm trying to love people even while I'm fighting against a dude in the cage. It's with the purpose and intent that I'm going to be able to fight for people afterwards and love them. So, man, I just want to push back darkness. Um, and I look for opportunities, try to have my head on a swivel, uh, through life and saying, just kind of, is this going to love somebody when I'm making a decision? Like, is this, is this going to fight? Is this, is this a fight worth fighting? Um, and if it is, then I most likely will, will drop everything else I'm doing, uh, and, and, and focus on that whenever that opportunity arises. So, um, that, that's just what I'm kind of in it for. You know, I get sponsorship deals now and instead of, I mean, my agent's trying to protect me and make sure I get something out of a sponsorship. But, right. But I'm just, Hey, let's just, when I fight and I win, I get to drill more wells. I get to give to, to drill more wells, like whatever sponsor wants to sponsor me, let's just drill wells. And so that's uh, in the criteria now that everyone that sponsors, we're going to, we're going to knock out the water crisis. Um, and so that's, that's what I want to do with my life um, is, is just really make an impact against the world's water crisis. Cause I think in today's age, we can knock that thing out. Uh, we can end it uh, for good. Nobility, man, uh, noble, the word noble comes to mind, man. It, it's incredible what you're doing, but it's a great segue into this whole going from self to they, right? Aristotle, when you go from me to we or they, so I'm excited to hear kind of how this journey of how you created space from the MMA fighter fighting for you and decided to take a five-year hiatus, go to, was it Congo that you began? Or walk us through kind of that moment and what all happened and, and, and the why behind Fight for the Forgotten. Yeah, so uh, for about six years, I was a depressed, drunk, drug addict. And uh, a depression I battled you know, for 10 years. Uh, yeah, 10, 10 full years for sure. Uh, and, and like you said, it's not like it hasn't ever crept back up. That's for sure. Uh, there, it's, it's lingering out there and I got to keep it. It's always around, isn't it, man? It's always around. It, it is. So, but I've, I've been, you know, doing so much better over the last seven years. Uh, thank goodness. And, um, but during that six years of that depression, that's actually when I, did attempt suicide was as a professional athlete, 23 years old, um, and just tried to end it with my opioids, like my addiction there. Um, and I, me too, from an injury, um, my, uh, my elbow here, there's a, a, I don't know, a scar about that long that I broke my elbow, tore the ulnary collateral ligament. Um, I dislocated it, uh, dislocated, broke and tore the UCL in there and uh, I'd have something called Tommy John surgery. And they said that I had about a 30 to 35% chance to ever compete again. Well, I was living at the Olympic training center when that happened and it was for wrestling, but I got into wrestling to fight. And so I thought uh, I would never even be able to do my dream of like, you know, fight. Um, luckily I was able to come back and fight, but during that time uh, they just gave me tons of, of pain pills. And so I just ate them up like candy and I needed them for the pain, I guess. Um, but I wanted them and had to have them for uh, the depression. I wanted them, uh, desired them greatly for that. And so, but I guess, uh, man, I started fighting, won several fights, got on the ultimate fighter, uh, was the youngest guy there, and then was in the UFC. and. Um, Man, I was just battling that addiction the whole time. I mean, uh, to, to where it got to two days before the fight I'm using. Uh, wow. And I would have popped for sure uh, before the fights. 
I, I used to be able to keep it at bay to where eight weeks I'd be all right, you know, only a couple of times to where then I'd shrink it down to like six weeks, four weeks, two weeks. I would still use it up to two weeks before the fight, and then I'd be using all the way up until the fight. Um, and so, man, when I had those guys rally around me and really help me, and I found a sense of purpose and that life was worth living um, and, and that we could really do something worthwhile with it. I remember getting my hand raised, bro, after a fight, and I would think, is this it? Is this all, all that is? I, I share, you know, listen, like, Justin, I share it with you, man. I, um, I, I'll never forget. I had made it to the MLS. I was standing on the field against Toronto FC, 30,000 people. And I remember thinking, this is what I, this is what I worked my entire life for. I thought it to be so much more than what it actually was. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's crazy, isn't it? That's that's awesome. You know exactly that feeling. Yep. I mean, not awesome, but I mean, we can connect. Right, we there. can connect with that Stand. with that moment. Yeah, yeah. Because I I I've told some people, and they just don't get it. They're like, "What do you mean you got paid to do what you love for a living? Like, what'd you have to be sad about, or complain about, or be depressed about?" Um, and it's like, man, because there's so much more to live for. Yes, like that. That is all your significance, your identity, your purpose, your value. Is uh is just win or lose, man. That that is a roller coaster ride. And how cutthroat um, is it when you get to that point where everyone's job is dependent upon those results? It, it takes yeah. the fun right out of every bit of the competition, doesn't it? Dude, absolutely, absolutely. So it was uh it was it was a rude awakening, you know, thinking right. oh you know you and so rude awakening. But then when I found out, like man. Like I can make an impact. These guys made such an impact in my life. What if, uh, you know, what kind of impact could I have in someone else's life? And so I started a, a, about 11 months into being sober and having that big life change. Um, I had gotten involved at the local children's hospital, went uh, through uh, the night training, night classes, and, and, and took all the tests and uh, got involved at a drug rehab and uh, – the downtown like rescue center for or rescue mission for the homeless. And I just kind of had my head on a swivel looking for how I can make a difference and uh, start volunteering at anything and everything um, that I could, uh, you know, helping people move, you know, I hear someone's moving. Hey, can I help, you know, and right. just trying to find a, cause afterwards, I mean, it would be tiring and it would be, you know, it would be, you'd be tired physically, but, but I guess emotionally, you know, you're like, I did something that mattered. I helped that dude out. That would have been so tough if I didn't get there or bring someone along with me. Um, and so I just liked that a lot. And then the opportunity started to arise to, to, to do some stuff um, and, and, and go to the Congo. And that just, uh, man, that's a long story too, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. But I had a vision, like an actual vision in my mind. It was a movie in my mind and I was in the rainforest. I know that's going to sound kind of nuts. And no, crazy. no. I have visions all the time, man. I can't wait to hear this story. Okay. All right. So, well, you know, like visualization now before your matches. Or, it changed you, you my know. life. It, Justin, it changed my life. When I started to visualize, it changed my life. And I still share visions and visualize on a daily basis. So, man, to hear you, 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 you know, you're doubling down on this. This is awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, bro. And I would do that before my matches uh, in wrestling, um, but this was completely unique and different. Um, but in wrestling, I'm mean, just a quick example of the power of visual visualization. When it came to my coaches, they're like, hey, write down your gold national champion, put it somewhere you can see it, and then get some pictures of your favorite wrestling move and put them around the house or your room, your kid or your uh, bathroom. And uh, I put national champion above my bed. This was in high school. Um, and I put my favorite wrestling with a picture of it on the left and my second on the right. Well, the first national championship I won was with the move on the left. And the second national championship I won was with the move on the right. No way. And I truly, yeah, my coaches think, and they said, man, you were going to bed dreaming about it at night. You were waking up thinking about it to start your day off. I mean that, you know, you were putting it in there, putting it out there, um, you're just living it, breathing it on the mats, but also just 24-7 trying to see it, trying to picture it and go out there and do it. 
Um, so I'm a big believer in visualization when it comes to athletics. Uh, but, and, and I guess from that, you know, visualizing the life you want to live. Um, but this was different, man. Like, uh, one of the things, and this isn't to put it on anybody else, but, um, my personal, like, uh, faith is what really helped a lot with the addictions. Um, and so, man, about 11 months into, into me being saved from like a life of depression and alcohol and suicide, uh, by these dudes coming around and loving me, um, I prayed and said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And when I said that, um, and it wasn't anything religious, bro. It was just like, I wanted to do something with my life and, uh, that mattered. And man, I got lit up with a vision. I had a movie in my mind. I didn't try to think it up. I wasn't like thinking of the rainforest or thinking of people that were suffering. I wasn't doing any of that. Um, and all of a sudden I saw myself in the rainforest and I was walking down this footpath and there was vines and I guess thickets and just everywhere. I was pushing them out of the way and I, I'm walking and all of a sudden I hear this drumming and it's just this beat that was just quick and I can still remember it in my head. And uh, then I get closer and I hear this singing, very unique, almost like this yodeling kind of sound. And I get into the village and bro, uh, I see these people in my heart. I, and I, it's hard to say because it was a vision, but I felt it like my heart just broke uh, for these people. Uh, and it was because all of a sudden I was overwhelmed and flooded with like, here's this person that's hungry. And I saw his ribs poking out. He's, he's hungry and he's sick. Um, he's, you know, and now I know it's like, I've seen people like this tuberculosis from the vision. I didn't know what it was then, but like this person that was hungry and sick with tuberculosis, then I see someone else. I know that they're thirsty, I see someone else. I know that they're poor and oppressed and I know that they're all enslaved, um, and that they're hated by the people groups around them. And bro, I, I came out of the vision and cried a puddle of tears this big because, um, I felt like their identity was forgotten or just when I came out, it was like those people, those are the forgotten people. Like who, who is that? And, uh, or who are they? And I just kept sobbing and I've never done that in my life. I haven't had a vision that intense or anything like that since, um, never had it before. Um, but I mean, big believer in visualization, but this was just something I, it's, it's hard to put like why or how or what exactly happened because I felt nuts for about three days. I mean, I'm telling you, bro, I thought like, I mean, I've, I've, I've had my share of uh, psychedelics and <laughs> different stuff. And this was not that, like this was, I was there almost. So and, we came um, to, this came to you, I would imagine in your sleep, or this is during a meditative prayer uh, opportunity or, yeah, or? It was like prayer. I was just by myself, man, just wow. by myself. And I was in a dark room, um, just, and just said that, like, what do I do with my life? And, uh, then just, I, it was like, it was, it wasn't like a trance, but it was like, it was nuts, man. Like I just had my eyes closed and all of a sudden I was taken there and, uh, in the mind. And, uh, I know my body wasn't physically there, but I mean, but it was so vivid. It was yeah. beyond vivid. I, I've never had a dream like that. I've never had any visualization like that. Um, and so for three days, I feel crazy. I write it down on a piece of paper, but I keep it completely to myself. I wasn't going to show anybody that. Right. Um, and I'm like, who, what, would, what would someone think of me if I said this? And now I've, I'm realizing this isn't just a conversation with you. There's other people that are listening. <laughs> it's all right. Um, it's okay if it sounds a little nuts and out there. But, um, but three days later, I meet this guy and he found out he's buddies with Bear Grylls. He's done like this missions, humanitarian work uh, in Africa, and I know I'm never going to see him again. Uh, like he was getting ready to leave, and we lived in different states. And I'm like, well, if there's a dude I could tell, it's probably that guy. And it doesn't right. matter if he thinks I'm crazy. Um, like he's this adventurous guy, and I, I don't know. It's just I felt like I could tell him. And uh, his name's Caleb, and I tell Caleb, and he gets like he just got it and got excited, and his eyes got bigger, his head started kind of bobbing or nodding. Like he was following and uh, I stop and I go, what? He goes, I know who they are. And I'm like, what? He goes, the people from the vision. And I'm like, who? And he said, they're the pygmies. I'm like, what? And he goes, uh, they're in the Congo. 
And I'm like, where? Like, I, I didn't know where the Congo was. I didn't right. know who the pygmies were. And he goes, I've been there. I've met them. And I'm like, what? Like, this is crazy. In my mind, I'm thinking that. I'm like, what? And he said, uh, yeah, I went there last year. I met them. If there's anyone that's forgotten, they're the forgotten people. Um, and then he said that he had a plane ticket in three and a half weeks to go back and see him again. And he was leading a team of guys there, but they all canceled their trips. Um, they were all husbands and fathers. The rebels just took over the airport in the Congo. Um, and the State Department said no American should go to the Congo for any circumstance. Um, and he's like, but bro, um, I was thinking about it today. If, if I don't have peace about going, um, then I was going to cancel my trip tonight. Meeting you, if you had a vision, if you go, I'll go. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa. Um, and so I had to think about it heavily, uh, but it was just so nuts that he said he knew who they were and where they were and he had been there and he was going back and i'm like this is just too crazy and so i knew in that moment that if i didn't go i would always have questions i would just always wonder you know what was that about was that crazy was that some mental lapse was that some uh trip you know like what what was that um and bro i showed him the vision like the detailed parts of it then a dude named Colin came with us. He took the picture uh, that's on the cover of, of the book, um, Fight for the Forgotten. And, uh, and we go there, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the forest on a footpath. And all of a sudden there's some drumming and some unique singing, and it sounded like kind of yodeling. We get in there. We meet them. My heart broke for them. Started kind of crying, wiping tears. And on our last day there, um, the chief pulled us over to the side. And he said, hey, everyone else calls us the forest people, but we call ourselves the forgotten. Um, and when he said forgotten, man, it was just like the completion of that vision, like it had come true. And so, you know, I didn't know that I could promise them anything to do with land or water or food. Um, but like he, he looked specifically at me and said forgotten. And then he said, I don't we don't have a voice to our suffering. Um, can you help us have one? And it was just like, wow, like as an athlete um, and, and having, I guess, created some space for a year to try to get my life right um, and, and walk out sobriety, and get, get, get some real kind of big vision, 10,000 foot like goals, you know, like uh, perspective. Um, I said, yeah, like I can go back and I can use whatever platform I have to tell people your story. And their story was just so brutal, man. Like, I met literal slaves. I met a woman. The first one I met had a hundred to 120 pound bag, uh, put her slave masters, put it on her back and tied it around her head. And for, for, for all day long, or at least two or three trips a day going three miles each way. So six miles round trip, or like it might've been three and a, it might've been seven because it was like three and a half miles uh, each way. And so around that, um, and she's the average height for the pygmy is only four foot seven. They're less than a hundred pounds. Wow. And she's a feat of strength every single day. And it was because something that I probably couldn't do just for training for sport, if, unless my life depended on it, like hers did. Right. Like, I don't think I could do that. Carry more than my body weight or even my body weight multiple times a day for miles at a time uh, with, with the back of my head bleeding and, you know, back killing me. Um, and so my heart just broke for him and I connected with him. And on my second trip, they adopted me and his family, went back to the same uh, village, and they gave me a name. It's uh, Efeosa, which, um, you know, that was my first name given. My full name now is Efeosa Mabutimangbo, and uh, you got to say it like that or it doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> That's incredible, man. So, well, Efeosa means the man who loves us. Um, and they gave me that name uh, the day before a little guy named Andy Bo. Um, actually passed away while I was holding him. Uh, he was one and a half years old and he died just because of dirty water. Um, and it wow. just, it just, you know, ripped, ripped my heart apart like it would most likely anybody, um, or anybody. Uh, and that like, dude, rocked to my core that like these kids here are dying because they don't have clean water. Um, and, and going back and just having sleepless nights researching, a billion people don't have clean water. Uh, 
over 2,000 kids each and every day are dying just because of diarrhea, uh, because of dirty water. Um, you wow. know, uh, it's it's just it's nuts. And finding out there's there's over 27 million slaves on planet Earth uh, today, more than ever in human history, and that um, and, and basically there's about 600,000 of those uh, that are the Mabuti pygmies. Um, and so, and then going back, I lived with them for a year and, uh, during that time, Mabutimang Bo was what they started calling me too. Uh, it wasn't my specific family, just everyone else called me Mabutimang Bo. And, uh, that means the big pygmy. Um, yeah. So, uh, so how big are you in, how big are you in stature, Justin? Uh, six, three. 260, 255. You must look like an absolute giant <laughs> to that crew, huh? Yeah. Well, I, the average height for the men's four foot seven. Wow. So they're a bunch of little dudes, great big hearts. And when I walk in there, it's uh, probably more like a vanilla gorilla uh, coming <laughs> to hang out. <laughs> and uh, some like uh, big half man, half lion thing with the big lion's mane. Uh, but uh, no, it's. It's fun though. We're so different. We're completely from the opposite side of the world. We look so different, uh, but at the same time, like our hearts are so connected. I don't even speak the language fully, um, and we have this like this heart connection where we can sit around the fire and just laugh. Um, that's some of my. Uh, we call that campfire university because that's where the pygmies take us to school. Uh, yeah. That's the little nick, and uh, and we sit around the fire, dream up you know, community development, what will work? You know, we can cast a vision, but if they don't catch it, it's not going to work. And so how can we, how can we cast the vision together um, and come up with a solution that will work for everyone in the community? It's just been beautiful, man. Like 3000 acres of land is now in the name of the Mabuti Pygmies. It's the first time they've ever owned land of their own. And so we got to petition with government and the Locals, uh, local government, state government, national government. It's sponsored by all of them. Uh, we bought it back from the people group that notoriously oppresses them, even enslaved them. Um, and so they benefited financially by, by you know, getting money for the first time for that land. And the pygmies benefited by having land for the first time that they own. They'll pass it down from generation to generation. And so strongest thing in Congo courts. We got all the documents, everything. Um, and then we've just started teaching them how to drill the wells for themselves. So giving them jobs and, you know, it was a long process that five years off from fighting. This is all I did day in and day out. I didn't step in the gym at all. Um, didn't train. I just, uh, researched, how do we drill wells? How do we do community development? How do we do this, do that, build sustainable homes? What's some farming initiatives we could do? Um, and water for here in Oklahoma city, they gave me $15,000 of well drilling equipment. And I went and I lived for a year. We built this team. The team was actually already there. Uh, they were just, uh, they just needed to be empowered. Um, they had community development degrees from a local university. They were all great people, great hearts. Um, they loved and accepted the pygmies for who they were. They didn't have that, that stuff that is, is around them in the culture and the community there. These guys were different. Um, and they started to, to change uh, the community there from the inside out, you know, just leading the way. All they needed was the tools in their hands and the training and knowledge in their heads, and they could be the change in their own country, right? Be the change you want to see in the world, right? That they right. were able to do just by being empowered. Uh, so I, I, I'm rambling now, but it's just been, uh, nah, it's been awesome. It, you're, you're a fantastic storyteller, man, and I'm captivated because I wish, you know, I, I don't do enough, and I wish I had the capacity that you have to go and do the things that you've done. It's incredible. The initiatives you've taken, the, the time you've devoted, the lives you've changed. But I have to ask you, I, I can think back to the, you know, nothing I've done can amount to what you have done in comparison, but their um, impact is impact, no matter how it, what, what yeah. box is put in. Right. My question to you is oftentimes the impact, the reciprocal value that I get from giving is often way more valuable to me. What I learn from the, the people that I'm helping is far more um, valuable to me than what I could ever give. Talk to me about some of the most uh, impactful moments or the, the things that the pygmy people have taught you that you wear in your soul and you wear with you and you, you move through the world with 
um, since going to, to the Congo? Yeah, man, I would say, man, I've had so many special moments out there. Um, I've had so many tough ones too, you know, uh, seeing little Andy Bo pass, little Babo, little Mo, Captula, Sangule, like these are all people that I loved and that aren't with us anymore. Just the challenges there are so tough, but, but at the same time, um, a little nugget of, of truth that I think is so different in our cultures is that here, I think in the States, we are just plagued with uh, depression and anxiety and fear and the pygmies you know not having land of their own or having been enslaved or being smaller than everybody else and facing the water crisis and you know even the the elements and the animals that they have to defend and protect themselves from black mambas you know i have a, a scar on my ankle from a scorpion uh that 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 was brutal it gave me a fever and teeth were chattering the pygmies made this uh paste to pull the venom out or poison whatever it is wow um uh, so they're brilliant people. They're so smart. They know how to live off the land. Um, but all the challenges that they face on a daily basis and they've just, uh, when I shared my story and struggle of depression and suicidal thoughts, man, um, they get being sad. They get mourning, uh, hurting. They get, I think they get depression for the most part. Um, but they don't understand it, how it would get so bad that you would ever think about hurting yourself. Because I remember being asked, you know, well, if you hurt yourself, doesn't that only hurt you? You know, like, why, why would you do that? You know? Um, and so they have so little, but they have so much, like the joy that they have, um, the community that they have, they don't struggle alone. They don't go and isolate in a big old house where they can binge on Netflix and not have any human interactions. You know, the only time they go in their hut is to go to sleep. Um, that's it. Or to go rest if they're sick. But, uh, but everything else is out in the village and the village works together. If someone loses somebody, the whole village rallies around that family that just lost somebody. Wow. Um, and, and so what they say is there's a bunch of different Swahili proverbs. Um, but two that really impacted me, uh, was, one, it kind of goes with community, but it's, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And so they always talk about how we need each other. You know, like, like we, we need each other, like right. them separating and being completely independent, like isn't a thing there. Um, and they, and they remind themselves of that, you know, like we need each other, we need each other. Um, and, and it's not in this weird way. It's not a selfish way. It's like in this beautiful way. Um, and then another one is, you know, them having so little, they still are thinking about how they can help each other in a way that they have another, uh, proverb out there in the forest that says, and I've had malaria three times, almost died of it once. Um, so mosquitoes are a big deal there. And this proverb says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, uh, try to sleep in a closed room with a mosquito. And so it's just kind of <laughs> kind of funny. But yeah, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping in a closed room or a closed hut with a mosquito. And it's like those things will bother you all night long. Or, or whenever I got malaria, I mean, I'm a fighter and uh, I've been in there with some big, strong dudes, six foot 11, six, nine, six, eight. Um, and a mosquito took me out more than anyone else ever could, you know, like it almost right. took my life. That little bitty thing that doesn't even weigh an ounce, right? Took out my 260-pound body. I had something called blackwater fever, which if anyone Googles that, um, I think one in two or at least one in four people who get to that stage of malaria, they die when they have it. Um, and so, like, I was, I was kind of on death's door there. But at the same time, I was at complete peace the entire time I was facing that because I was looking around and I'm like, man, this is what they suffer from each and every day. And I was trying to get the perspective and I'm like trying to count my blessings too, like saying, look, like I actually get to get medicine for this. A lot of people don't. And, um, and, and just now I get to understand, you know, it's one thing to hear about it or read about it. It's another thing to see it. And then, man, it's going to stick with me. This life lesson is going to stick with me because I've lived it out. Now. I felt it. Right. I struggled from it. I suffered from it with them. And like, um, so man, I, I just, uh, 
I just have learned so much from them in, in, in incredible ways, man, that it's, uh, they're, they're, they're tough. They, they over, they're overcomers, man. And if they can overcome all those things, uh, man, we can overcome a lot more than what we give ourselves credit for. You're the voice for the pygmies, man. You are their champion, and and I'm sure they're smiling right now, knowing that you're going to continue to fight for them. You'll continue to get uh, to a place where your platform will be used to be able to drive people of like-minded um, efforts to to continue to allow them to grow. Let's allow you to give this moment right now to the Creating Space Tribe. How can people find your initiative? Connect with you who have been called to to want to help how could people do that to, for for your cause yeah well man we are still uh drilling wells we are now we've multiplied from one drilling team to two and so we had 18 guys uh, on staff that were all congolese born and raised there they're all locals you know nationals uh empowering them to where they have a job uh and it's a job to really help their community in an incredible way so you talk about like a sense of satisfaction or pride in your job and what you're doing, you know, doing something that their government's not doing or that uh, NGOs aren't doing, like they're the answer to their own problem. And so now we have 32 guys on staff in Congo and they've drilled 62 water wells so far. Um, but Water 4, man, Water 4 just last year. So Fight for the Forgotten is just one team of 44 Water 4 teams. And uh, there's 396 guys that are drilling wells in Africa, um, and they drilled 690 water wells last year for themselves, and they served 172,000 of their countrymen. And so uh, I'm just so encouraged, man, because we've gotten that number up to a million people being served, having clean water, and it was all done, you know, countrymen doing it for their countrymen, them being the solution. And so ways to get involved, man, the, the easiest and best – um, is to, and it's, is help us have a voice, you know, get it out on social media, post out this podcast would be awesome for people to share, um, or go to our website, fightfortheforgotten.org on there. And at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, the books there, fight for the forgotten. It's kind of my life story and journey and my whole year uh, that I spent in the Congo. Um, and then helping us raise funds. We have like a crowdfund campaign that, uh, anyone can start on our website. Um, if they want to help us raise money for a water well uh, to transform the lives of an entire community, uh, it's easy to do and people can invite their friends and family on there. Um, one thing we don't do, it's just our method and model, is we don't take people and volunteers now uh, over there to do the job. Because when we do that, we're taking amateurs from here to replace the jobs of professionals there that we've been investing our times in. And then it, it gives them a message of like, I don't know, I want people to be able to get involved, but our mission right now is really diving deep with these teams. And we've taken them from white belt to blue belt to purple belt to brown, and now they're about to be black belts, masters of their crafts. Um, and so uh, to replace that with someone that's going temporarily for a week or two weeks, um, and then to bring them back home, and they may or may not ever go again. Um, for, to maximize our effort and to create space to really do something uh, that matters, all of our resources are going into investing in these guys, um, and, and men and women. We have a whole women well drilling team that it's made up. It's the hardest work I've ever done in my life, but it's all women drilling wells, man, uh, out there in this, this uh, village in Ethiopia right now. And it's just so cool. So, man, uh, yeah, basically mobilizing, telling people, uh, buying shirts or books and telling the story and raising funds and then just uh, helping share the story. Well, I would love if the Creating Space Tribe, hey, guys, I would love if we can uh, put our arms around this fight for the forgotten cause and then we can help uh, Justin not only in Congo as well, but continuing to um, push the message here in the United States to help continue to to, to build it there as well. Um, listen, man, I'm proud of you. My dad, one of the greatest leaders I've ever seen in my life, always told me the best leaders build humans and you're developing um, the land, you're helping develop the culture, but you're developing the people there to be able to become empowered um, and, and competent, uh, or competent to 
build their lives and their their community themselves man that is the true um, the true essence of pure leadership, man. So Justin, it's an honor to have been able to bring you onto the creating space podcast, man, because you are the essence of it. And, um, I, I'm proud of you and word is you're back on the MMA circuit and you're going to be fighting here pretty soon. Yeah, man, I, 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 I have, so I took those five years, two months off. I've come back. It was really tough uh, to get back in shape, uh, at least fight shape at that level with the guys that were all training and fighting uh, professionally the entire time I was off. Um, but yeah, I won three fights in a row. Uh, it's been great. The first two were decisions. They're hard fought. It's basically all mental toughness and heart. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, a lot. it wasn't too much cardio cause I got tired. Um, but the uh, last one was good. I got a big throw, um, like a five point suplex in wrestling. And then after that I hit an arm triangle choke, choked the guy out. Um, so that was great. So yeah, the momentum's building. I got to tell 1.2 million people the story uh, of Fight for the Forgotten, of Water 4, um, which was, I mean, I can't tell you how much, uh, you know, I had that feeling, getting my hand raised and thinking, is this it? Is that all? Um, but now when I win, it's winning for a real purpose, bro. Like wells are being drilled and we're fighting for people and I get to tell people, give them a voice. And so I have more motivation than ever to get in there and scrap. And uh, it's going to take a lot. Like the guy's going to have to turn the lights off for me to quit. And so uh, I just have so much more to fight for now. And I just love it, man. And I think the reason is how you said uh, your dad talking about building humans or investing in people's lives um, is because like people, bro, are our greatest resource. And I see these guys and they are not looking for charity, but they're, they're, they're hoping for an opportunity. And so coming in there and, and not giving them a handout but giving them a hand up and seeing them stand on their own two feet and seeing the fight that they've gone through, um, seeing them struggle and grit and work their way out of poverty for themselves. All they needed was a chance. All they needed was an opportunity because they're, they're used to struggling and being on the grind every day to make it every day to eat that day. Um, and so man, like seeing that, seeing what they fought through the sickness, the the struggles, the oppression, um, man, being here, I just, uh, you know, a, a fight is fun. Um, a, you know, a, uh, a MMA fight for me, it's just, it's always been fun for me. Some guys, you know, they love the training, they, they don't, they dread the fight, but I've always loved the fight part. Um, <laughs> but I, I love it even more, you know, uh, I get, and I used to be one of the guys that kind of hated the training aspect, not hated the training, but I was just like, man, just let me fight. Or just let me compete. Um, right, right. But now, now I love it all. You know, every day I'm in there training, I know it's for a purpose. I know it's for a reason. And I know it's going to do good. So uh, it's been it's been a real life change, that's for sure. We need more people like yourself, Justin. And in any way that I can uh, I can help, I can be of service to you. I, you know, if it ever comes across your mind that, that, that you can call on me, I'd love to be able to do so. And uh, I know the Creating Space Tribe will come around, man. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, telling your story and just doing everything you can to fight for the forgotten, to give a voice to the people who feel they have been forgotten. Because to me, when it's all said and done, man, you're going you're gonna to have uh, that entire city in a whole new uh, realm and a whole new theme of existence, man. And that's something to be really proud of, Justin. Remember, thanks. It's really humbling. It's just such a pleasure and honor uh, to be part of that, that movement, man, and seeing them lead the way. You know, 32 guys leading the charge and thousands. You know, we've seen 1,500 people. There's a documentary coming out. 1,500 people have transitioned out of that life of slavery and into a life of freedom. And so that's why documentaries have to be made to, 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 for them to have their own voice and to tell their own story uh, of how they, I don't know, uh, you know, found freedom and, uh, and from the water crisis, but from literal slavery, but from like poverty too. I mean, like they still have issues there, but how they're working themselves out of it. It's just truly inspiring. And to be here with you, bro, it's inspiring as well. And to be here with this tribe, you know, uh, with creating space. It's awesome. It's an honor and pleasure and privilege. So thank you uh, for giving me this opportunity to share my heart, to, to, to share the voice of my pygmy family. Love it, man. Um, if there's anything we can do, we'll do our best, man. And I appreciate you coming on to creating space. Thank you, brother. Wow. What can you say to that story? Uh, obviously, I had to step away from 
the professional sport for myself for an injury and work my way to get back to it. Um, but it was never the same again for me at that point. I couldn't have imagined at that time stepping away and traveling to another country to do humanitarian work, to help dig for water, to help teach these humans how to construct houses and how to build communities and how to lead each other, how to have a sense of Western culture there where they had been forgotten. It's amazing. And Justin Wren is uh, a source of inspiration for me and hopefully for you now moving forward. Get on over and tag Justin at the big pygmy, P-Y-G-M-Y. Tag him on Instagram, tag him on Facebook or Twitter. Let him know you've listened to the story and you are 100% inspired by his journey. Help him keep going. We all need affirmations to continue to move forward. So at the big pygmy, P-Y-G-M-Y, give Justin Wren a shout. Make sure you tag me on that as well so I can push that affirmation on along with you. And keep pressing this movement forward. I'm loving how each of you are engaging with the content. You're continuing to push that out and share the message, and I can see it. You guys are warriors of this message, champions of light, and I can see it through the analytics. You guys are making massive waves here, and I love every single one of you for doing just that. So go have, go have an amazing day. Put yourself outside of yourself today. Help someone else. Put a smile on someone else's face and uh, let Justin Wren know that this podcast was the reason that you did it. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your week.